heaven? No. It's Iowa. Can you see? Can you see it? What? Uh, uh, someone is going to give a bad take on a movie during a podcast. It's so poorly thought out. And the, the take is based on on bad, bad evidence and, and their weird subjective tastes. It's, it's horrible. When? When is this going to happen? Soon. Very, very soon. Someone. A man. He's middle-aged and lives in the Twin Cities. His name is... No. No, no, no. It looks like we won't be working together after all, Ben. I don't hear a red ball. Rick, it is his destiny. Please don't run from this discussion of Minority Report on the Pot of Dreams. What's coming? Double homicide. One male, one female. Killer's male, white, 40. Set up a perimeter and tell them we're en route. I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks. Give the man his hand. The future can be seen. All we have to run on are the images that they produce. We see what they see. There hasn't been a murder in six years. There's nothing wrong with the system. It is perfect. I agree. Murder can be stopped. Exactly what it is you're looking for. Flaws. Did we get any false positives? We are arresting individuals who have broken no law. But they will. The fact that you prevent it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. The system can't be wrong. Wait. You say something, Chief? No. You're in a lot of trouble, John. I have a warrant in my pocket that says murder. Don't run. You don't have to chase me. From 20th Century Fox. He set me up. He set me up. And DreamWorks Pictures. Who's the victim? I've never heard of him, but I'm supposed to kill him in less than 36 hours. He's coming here to get her. Tom Cruise. I need your help. If you contain information, I need to know how to get at it. In a Steven Spielberg film. I have to know. I have to find out what happened in my life. You tell me. Who was it that set this up? I don't know. How about now? On June 21st, everybody runs. All right, great. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Welcome to the Pod of Dreams. We have a special guest today. Uh, Brian Egger joins us. He's from deepfocusreview.com. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for asking me on, and uh, I appreciate uh, the invite. Yeah, so what? just feel free to talk a little bit about what you do, your, your website, your blogging, your reviews, um, your work in film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started writing uh, reviews just kind of casually, maybe like 15 years ago. Uh, I started my own website, uh, kind of built it from the ground up. I didn't, um, you know, buy any templates or anything. I wanted everything to be kind of a specific way where uh, if you go on my site, you can click on an actor. It's kind of like IMDb where you could click on, you know, Tom Cruise and it'll show you everything I've reviewed by Tom Cruise. Um, 
so I started that way and just sort of, like I said, did it very casually. And then over the years, it just got a little bit more serious. Um, you know, I went to school for um, like art, art history with a focus on film uh, history uh, for my undergrad. And then um, I, you know, got my master's in film studies and, uh, you know, just gradually started taking over my life and um, my reviews became much more serious. And, you know, I, it just became my, my full-time hobby. Um, and now it's, you know, I don't want to say it's my only career, but it's a major part of my life. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I write, you know, a couple of reviews a week. Uh, I do a, probably once a month, I will do an in-depth essay uh, in this series called The Definitives, where I do a lot of scholarly research and, um, you know, sometimes getting into like archives, but uh, just a lot of reading and prep goes into those. Um, and those are kind of my uh, my reason that I keep going because I love writing these in-depth essays and it's kind of um, the my main um, output are these longer essays. Um, and then just, you know, kind of in the last two years, I guess, I've been, you know, Rotten Tomatoes approved and gotten a little bit more attention. So it's becoming more of like my legitimate, you know, career uh, gradually over time. So. All right. So a quick question. So you do approximately two movie reviews a week. How do you pick which movies you review? Do you think, hey, these are the two biggest releases or do you just get you pick whatever sounds interesting to you to watch? How do you decide what you're going to review? Yeah, it really depends on the week. There are some where I'm like absolutely going to review them no matter what. Um, you know, maybe a particular director or particular actor that I really love. Um, I will go out of my way to, to, you know, reach out and get a screening for that and, and you know, review that. Um, and then some I have a I have a Patreon where, you know, people pay at different levels to to um, read exclusive content. Like I do a lot of reviews that are only on Patreon. Um they also get a chance to vote every week, uh, most weeks, I should say, like, you know, 90% of, of, of the time. Um, so I'll list, you know, five or six movies that I want to re- potentially review or could review, and they will just vote and pick what they want to see me, you know, see me write about. Uh, so, it's, for instance, a couple weeks ago, they voted on uh, the unbearable uh, weight of massive talent, that Nicolas Cage movie. I wasn't planning on reviewing it, you know, just on my own. Um, but they picked it. So that's what I went and saw and reviewed. Um, so there's kind of a balance and there's some stuff where, you know, a studio might reach out and say, Hey, do you want to review this? And I haven't really heard of it. And I'll just be like, yeah, why not? Um, so, so when was the first time that ever happened to you? Like you're saying, here's a movie studio that wants you to review a movie. When did did that start happening after Rotten Tomatoes or before? Before, um, Rotten Tomatoes was fairly recent. Um, uh, that was only in the last few months, actually, that I've been uh, oh, wow. uh, approved Rotten Tomatoes. Um, yeah, do you know what? I'm I'm going to just bombard you with questions, Brian. I apologize. Yeah. But are you, do you know what the criteria is to get selected? you have to review for a certain amount of time or get enough web traffic? Do you have any idea what their criteria is at all? I don't know what the exact criteria is. I think it's kind of a mystery with, with oh, you sure. know, y- with y- younger critics. And but back, you know, I'd say 10 years ago, I applied to be on there. And I will admit that, you know, 10 years ago, my reviews weren't what they are today. Um, you know, I just wasn't as good as a writer and I was just a little bit more, um, a little bit more film bro I think, and maybe just not as professional. And uh, so I've since kind of polished my style and, um, 
gotten a little bit, you know, more in depth, I guess. And, um, had and more the, reps. Sure. Just, just it's like that 10,000 hours things, the more you do it, the better you get. Sure. Right. Right. So you do have um, to apply to it though. It is a thing where you have clients you do. and then they, okay. yeah. And I think they look at things like how much traffic that you get and how many, you know, social media followers that you have. I didn't really have a social media presence 10 years ago. Sure. Um, I think they look at output, um, you know, what kind of movies you're writing about. If you're only writing about, you know, every new Marvel movie that comes out, you may not get in. I, I don't oh, know if that's, I don't know. I don't even know if that's true, but um, they don't have a, you know, like a sure, list of criteria that you have to meet. Um, you just apply and kind of say what you do. And then you find out if you got in or not. Uh, so it's, it's like the Illuminati. There's just some board up there that. Yeah. Yeah. Know, you know, pretty much. Yeah. Mysterious yeah. algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, I, I had applied, you know, just on a whim, um, in I think like in August of, of 2021 and sort of forgot about it um, that I did that because I was just like, ah, I'm not going to get in. I'm just, I'm just a guy who's in his basement, you know, a, you know, I'm not affiliated with any major associations or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just doing sure. this. And, uh, and then, yeah, they let me in. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, how excited were you? <laughs> I, I was, I was pretty excited actually. I, it came after like a, um, there's this new thing called the banana meter as well that just started. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. No, but, I've not. Um, it's largely focused on kind of you know independent people who are you know maybe creating video reviews on YouTube or, or you know just smaller smaller you know critics that aren't affiliated with a larger larger publication. Um, and so that they're very open about who they're letting in. And maybe I don't know if they have the strictest criteria. Um, to let people in and that's that's okay because that's a very like supportive group so they uh as soon as they like launched i was like oh i'll try that why not and uh they let me in great um and then like all these other little associations started letting me in all around the same within i would say the last like six months and so rotten tomatoes was the last one and um so yeah i was honestly i felt like I, I felt like l- legitimized after so many years of just like oh, doing yeah. this, you know, like I right. said, just kind of on a satellite, you know, in my basement doing this. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, it was great. It was, it was, I know a lot of people put, you know, put down Rotten Tomatoes and I, I know that there's some downfalls in terms of, you know, review aggregation. And, uh, you know, I'm not immune to that either because I know that people are probably now looking at my star, star ratings or Rotten Tomatoes review and not reading the thousand words that I wrote on a particular movie. But um, I do think that, you know, it increases traffic. It gets you out there a little bit more and it might get other publications to, you know, ask you to write for them or, or whatever. It's just a way to legitimize, uh, legitimize you within the industry. No, that's awesome. I would be very, very pumped. I mean, well, I said, even going back further since it happened, I mean, if a movie studio was like, or even a small one was like, hey, we're trying to get the word out on this movie. Can you write a review? That, I mean, that would have been very exciting. I mean, I probably, but I mean, probably about 10 years ago, I started, it was as a hobby, writing reviews pretty intensely for about two years and then full-time job, family, and then just stopped doing it. Um, but if you'd have told me that I'd be a Rotten Tomato critic, I would have been just as thrilled with it. Um, people are taking it seriously enough that they're sending you screeners. Just that alone sounds exciting. I love it. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Um, it started out with like just smaller, um, smaller studios, you know, like, sure. like VOD type studios that would right. reach out. Um, and then recently, you know, a lot of these larger, um, 
and and we're in Minnesota or near Minnesota and we're kind of the flyover state. So we're not as like, it's not like the studios are reaching out to people or anything. It's, it's more like there's a PR agency in Minnesota that handles these studios. And there's another one that handles these studios. So if you can get onto those lists, then you're going to be invited to, you know, a screening or something like that. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it's this exclusive club that a lot of people try to get into, I guess. And, um, it feels kind of cool to be in that club for somebody who was not in that club for a long time. Oh yeah. Um, so I'm just sort of enjoying that and then realizing that there's all kinds of other hurdles to jump over now. So oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's always new so I've got to ask this question. I, I'm sure you want your opinions of your movies to vary on Rotten Tomatoes like anything else. It's a tool if used in the right context, it's useful if used in the wrong context, it's horrible. Um, I'm sure you want your reviews to accurately reflect your your opinions and you want them to truly just you can know exactly where you stand in a movie but are you ever tempted now to just do something crazy just to get a bunch of attention i'm gonna just shit on a really beloved movie or praise something terrible just to try is, to get is that the armand white right isn't that kind of his mo right as a, right yeah if, there, if, if there's a hundred percent rating you know right now am i going to be the one to to put a negative review or something on there yeah. um I will say that I've had trouble. So one thing when you, when you, you're, you're welcomed on Rotten Tomatoes, you have a backlog of reviews and I've written, you know, a few thousand reviews at this point. Um, you're expected to put all those re- manually, put all those reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my. Okay. Um, so this yeah. is a process of like me, you know, grabbing a link, grab, you know, looking through a review that I forgot that I wrote from three years ago and trying to find a, you know, a pull quote and you know putting my rating in and all that so one thing about the way that i write is i i don't write to be quoted um i'm writing sure. kind of a long you know essay about a, a about a movie um and the critique is very involved and there i i don't have a lot of quotes um uh so i'm i've struggled with that and uh i'm just having a hard enough time getting my stuff on there in the way that I write, like getting one sentence that summarizes how I feel that uh, to answer your question, I'm, I haven't even thought about like gaming the system to, to, <laughs> to get more attention. Um, I will say though, that I, one thing that I've noticed and, you know, maybe you've noticed this too, is that when you go on Rotten Tomatoes, certain movies, like, you know, if you look at Dr. Strange, Dr. Strange probably has like, like 400 reviews from 400 different critics because that's a really popular movie. Sure. Uh, I tend to review a lot of stuff like international and independent movies where it's only like, in some cases I've seen only like nine other critics have reviewed a particular movie. Um, so I'm finding that my niche is very like, it's those kind of outsider on the margins movies and people who like those movies that are finding my reviews now uh, due to Rotten Tomatoes. And I can see like referral traffic coming in from Rotten Tomatoes on those movies. Um, one because I'm the, now the most recent person who's reviewed these older movies, sure. and um, so maybe I'll be the first one that they see when they come to that page of you know some obscure French film or something. Um, and then two, you know, just the sheer number of, of reviews is so so low uh, on those particular movies that uh, that uh, I'm going to be one of the few that they see. Um, so that that I think is where my niche is, and it's not so much like does anybody care what I think about the new Dr. Strange movie? Cause nobody does. Sure. <laughs> I don't think my audience does. To be well, honest. No, no, they don't care what the critics have to say. It's going to get a certified fresh rating. It's coming off the assembly line. And 
people right. are going to see it in droves. It's gonna, you yeah. you mentioned it twice now, so I just got to ask: Have you seen the new Doctor Strange movie? Did you get an advanced screener for that? Uh, I did. I'm not gonna. Um, I, haven't seen, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it yet. I, my my screening is this week, and oh. um, yeah. So if if I had seen it, I think the embargo is lifted, so I could talk about it. But I just haven't watched it yet. Got it. Okay, sounds good. I but, but so, I am excited about it. I mean, I as pretentious as my tastes can sometimes be i i mean there i have a dvd collection behind me and there there's it's filled with marvel movies like i i enjoy marvel movies yeah so that i mean that answers maybe you maybe kind of answered a question i've had so let's say you review you know city lights you know an old chaplin movie and it's got a 12 roos and you upload your old city lights review that'll go on rotten tomatoes and now instead of 12 there'll be 13 reviews and it'll just get yeah. added so slowly older movies get added that way okay that's good to know i've Always wonder. All right. See. Yeah. And um, it, it's usually, you know, within two minutes of me hitting submit, it'll be on there, which is kind of nice. Um, I mean, one of the, uh, can, I, can I swear? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We oh, prefer okay. it. Right. We prefer it. Yeah. Uh, great. Um, so one of the um, uh, coolest things I think was recently um, a, a studio reached out to me, Trauma Entertainment, you know who they are? Oh yeah. We reviewed Toxic Avenger. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's one right. One of my Abs- favorite movies. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So a rep there asked that I review Shakespeare Shitstorm, or ha- I should say hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, the new trauma movie, which is totally just fucked up and just, it's just insane. Um, and I was the only person on Rotten Tomatoes who reviewed that movie at the time. I'm not sure if that's true at this moment, but, uh, I, you know, like Lloyd Kaufman reached out and like thanked me for reviewing it. And it was just this oh, whole big trippy. thing. Oh my gosh, like, that'd be really fun. Yeah, it was kind of awesome actually so yeah, if like, you give if you give it a thumbs up it's a hundred percent then is that how that works okay. well i i think there has to be a certain number of reviews i'm not okay. sure how many i think it's like maybe 20 or 30 or something like that sure that makes but, sense yeah but there's one review right now and it's positive people so. are gonna read it yeah okay yeah. sure yeah oh that yeah that'd be that'd be trippy i can't only imagine that'd be really fun so that's that was cool. like my one you know brush with anyone who's a celebrity and it's yeah. kind of awesome that it's that it's lloyd kaufman of all people yeah, he seems, I mean, I've only seen him interviewed a couple of times, but he seems like a very nice, goofy, friendly guy from whatever I've seen, at least for his public persona. Yeah, so, absolutely. So people can – deepfocusreview.com is the website. Uh, yeah. At deepfocusreview is your Twitter handle if, if anybody wants to follow that. And yeah. uh, and then just our Rotten Tomatoes, like you, they can search your name, right, and kind of pull up all your reviews that way too. Yeah, I've got a little page on there, and then my uh, Patreon is just, you know, Patreon slash Deep Focus Review. And then I, I think that's a – I've heard that, you know, certain certain patron groups, like you maybe get one post a week or, you know, one post every two weeks or something. And I'm doing, like, at minimum three a week and, you know, voting and, inter, you know, you can – depending on what tier you join at, you can even, like, request a review or request an essay and I'll – I'll write a review of your, you know, your choice. So there's, there's a whole like reader's choice element to it. So if I give you enough money, basically you'll watch and review any movie I want to within. Yeah, some, pretty much. Some limit. Okay. Unless I've written about it already. Yeah. Well, shifting gears to the this week's episode, Minority Report. So I, I reached out to Brian and asked him if he joined the pod and asked uh, to pick a movie, and he picked Minority Report. So. Uh, why this movie? Why did you pick Minority Report? Uh, so this is, I would say, one of my favorite movies. Just, it, I wouldn't put it on a, a list of the hundred best movies, but it's one of my favorites. Sure. Um, 
I don't see movies in the theater usually more than once. And for whatever reason, when this movie came out, uh, it came out in 2002. I mean, I was just at that, you know, I was in, in college and I was super into Philip K. Dick. I was super into uh, Spielberg at the time. He had just put out AI the year, you know, the year before Tom Cruise was, was, you know, hot at the moment. None of the, you know, the stigma around him had come out yet. Um, so this was just like this perfect um, union of all these forces that I really liked. Um, and I, I mean, I saw it in the theater like four times and I was just like, you know, bringing people to come see it because it was such a, just this breezy, fast paced, um, incredibly smart, incredibly imaginative, uh, technically well-made movie that, um, you know, and I was a big reader of Roger Ebert at the time. He praised it. I think he called it the best, best movie of 2002. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, everything about this movie just clicked for me and it works intellectually. It works just as pure entertainment. Um, the filmmaking, like I, I, I wrote an essay on, on this, on my site. And I mean, most of my essay is just talking about the filmmaking and, 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 kind of the, the genre elements that are going into this because it's such an inspired genre piece it's you know it kind of blends you know neo-noir and and hitchcockian suspense and and philip and a philip k dick philosophy all into this this big nice package that uh for me pays off in in pretty much every way so as a follow-up so i've not read the original philip k dick story that's based on how much does it match? How what what liberties did Spielberg take? Just generally speaking. Well, I will say so. Scott Frank is the screenwriter, right? Who who that? I mean, he's gone on to do amazing things. Yeah, um, yeah, he's great. The Queen's Gambit most recently has probably helped people would know him, but yeah, he wrote the screenplay too for this yeah. movie. And um, yeah, so it, it doesn't it doesn't it's not faithful to the short story. The short story is basically just the concept of. Um, the pre-crime, pre-crime. and okay. and what a minority report would be, uh, and there's a character named Anderton. It's not it's not this elaborate chase. It's not this this anything like this story. I think it's just basically the concept. Uh, Philip sure. K. Dick okay. was great at concepts. Like he he wasn't so great at characters or like three dimensional yeah, plot. Sure, right, right. I mean, didn't care about plot mechanics. No, it was all about the ideas. Sure, I was just curious. I didn't know to what extent Spielberg had molded this to make it a little more Spielbergian family friend or entertainment from the concept, but it just took, basically it sounds like took the raw idea and then, then put it through, you know, the filmmaking magic machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how recently before this had you seen minority report? When was the last time you watched it? Um, the last time in full was maybe a year ago. Oh wow. um, yeah. Okay. And then um, I've been watching, you know, clips to refresh, but I've, I probably watched this movie once a year. Oh wow. Okay. You really do love it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that the the Spiel I'm a you know big Spielberg fan. I, I wouldn't call yeah. myself uh, an apologist because I don't think there's anything to apologize for. I think he's a, an outstanding filmmaker, even in his in all his sentimentality and, and commercialism and everything that he may have done to the you know the industry. He's an outstanding filmmaker. Uh, and this period from like 2001 to 2005, where he's doing science fiction, uh, is just peak spielberg for me um ai and and minority report and war of the worlds i think are all fantastic movies and um he get i think these are movies that that enrich themselves upon repeated viewings um 
each one of the each one of those I think are just just top tier Spielberg. Yeah. So it was I had that very same thought when I was so I've not seen this movie for so watching when it came out and you know I was in high school at the time and then I probably saw it once in college and then it's been I'll, I'll call it 15 years give or take. Sure. Um, but I was watching the first act and I was like oh this is this is like prime Spielberg. I mean there's this is he's doing it all. Um, we're getting engaging dialogue which moves fast it's entertaining it's also introducing the themes we get a character's belief systems uh, a belief system pre-crime is perfect and then the system weighs down on him and I'm like oh this is all just moving super fast and we get these themes of determinism and it reminded me of jurassic park in a lot of ways just because that also you get the characters introduced and their beliefs get tested through a really entertaining well, and he does such movie. a good way of breaking down like the science of it too because like yeah. a movie you, you could do like a uh, if this movie is in lesser hands, it could kind of maybe fall apart. You know, I mean, it has the great idea of pre-crime, but if it's, you know, beyond that, it could be some like sci-fi or, you know, stars movie that you see that just doesn't really hold together. But he's so good at explaining like, the first scene when Colin Farrell pops in and he's kind of asking all these questions about the science, which you as the like audience are like, wait, this doesn't make sense. And he's answering yeah. all those questions in such a really skillful way. Um, that yeah, I think it's only Spielberg could do something like that. And I think Cruz sells it like just, yeah, that whole conversation where he rolls the ball and you know yep. he catches it. Why'd you catch that? That's such a good, such a great performance and just a great explanation of everything. And he he so believes in it. And I think that yeah, to your point, you know, lesser writing or a lesser actor would have um, you would have been thinking about the holes in the process. And how this is maybe moralistically wrong. Because uh, there, there still are holes. Like the idea that it only does murder is like, wait, that doesn't totally add up, right? I just but, accepted but, that. Like murder is the worst metaphysical. I was like, all right, whatever. We're just it, he only wants to focus on murder for the sake of movie. Does it's not convincing, but I can roll with that. You you set up the rule in the first act, only murders. Yeah. that's fine. But they don't um, hide away from it. You know, in some movies, they would just kind of like not explain it. And they, they go right into it. And they have a guy be like, wait, this doesn't make sense. And they have him answer it. Whether or not the answer is acceptable is kind of up to you. But it, I just love that. After listening to your Memento episode recently, I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe just Nolan was in my head. But I was thinking about how this compares to something like Inception, where it's just playing by its own rules. It's establishing its own little bubble. And it exists within that bubble quite perfectly i think and if you you know go try to go outside that bubble maybe some things fall apart but within that bubble everything's so well engineered and it can't really can't really be broken because it, they really explain everything oh, it does all the good first act set stuff up. i mean all of it is just really tightly written I, I bring something to this movie that i didn't before and i i, I if you would ask me in my 20s if there's is such thing as objective film criticism i said yes i, I don't anymore so Eric and I both went to law school um, oh, okay. and, and it doesn't, doesn't get in the way, but I kept thinking instantly like, okay, yeah, you can't put people away for life for not killing somebody. People get stopped from murdering people now. We don't put them to jail for murder. I'm like, okay, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Have pre-crime, but just don't charge them with attempted murder. That well, the foundation of our criminal law requires two things, the, the act and then the thought. And in this movie, you don't need the act to be, get convicted of a crime, which, I mean, it would fundamentally change criminal law. 
Yeah, and I, I think that that's what's so interesting about this, though, is that they they it's an experiment, and they acknowledge that it's an experiment, mm-hmm. and it's this isolated within the city, and you know they've got judges backing it, and they're all believing in this science of the precogs that yes, these are all things that have been verified and and have happened, and they're going to happen, and they believe in that so you know fundamentally that it's to them that the, whether the act has happened or not is is there's no question it's going to happen um which obviously is the whole concept of the movie but um right. and I, I love the the back and forth with colin farrell where he's he's talking about the premeditation that that doesn't happen anymore he's like because people figured out if you plan out a murder they're just going to catch you so nobody's planning out murders anymore i love they even took it to that next level which i wouldn't have even thought of as a you know audience member I'm like oh wow yeah i wouldn't have thought of but it's so brilliant that they even went to that far of a extreme to yeah. explain that. Yeah, and I would say the point of how you actually punish people for is, is not super relevant because it's obviously about determinism versus free will. I mean, that's that's the theme set up in the first act. But I just can think, okay, yeah, I would very clearly say you can arrest these people, you can put them in jail, but don't put them in a mind prison, which I have to say is truly horrific. And one of the many strengths of this movie is the incredible world building around everything. It's flushed out and stuff isn't overtly explained. You get it. I mean, you get when you walk into a store and some holograms like, would you like to get shoes, Mr. Lewis? And it's basically micro ads, right? I mean, that's basically the same exact concept. Um, And it's just so flushed out perfectly. And they don't explain everything works. And the people know about the spiders. They don't explain to us what the spiders they show. And we see people reacting to them. And they just know like, oh, yeah, the mom freaks out about a kid. The couple that are fighting, they stop fighting. And they're like, all right, we're going to cooler jets while this thing scans our eyes and it's really tense and exciting and you can figure it out and it's not over explained it's just show it does the the show don't tell um so well i mean because every aspect of this looks very convincing and and real and flushed out um so the setting is is really really immaculate um and i those halo things are very scary like that that sounds like an absolute nightmare being stuck in a prison of your own thoughts um i was that was one thing is I had forgotten about the halos. It's like, Oh yeah, that's awful. They put them on instantly. No trial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, Yeah. I I love that aspect aspect of it. I mean, they go to such length to explain pre-crime, but the rest of the world is full of these amazing little details that, yeah, to your point, you know, they don't need to, there's no exposition about why, you know, Tom Cruise's cereal box is animated and, and it looks as though he has to shake it to get it to stop and set it down, but it's not working. And so he keeps trying to hit it. And we know that, you know, he doesn't explain, well, this, this cereal box has to be set down to shut off. We just get that um, because it's, you know, you don't need to explain it. And then he just chucks it and it keeps going. Um, I love that everything that they're, you know, to, to your point, there are all these technologies and they're all supposed to work in a certain way. Uh, and yet every one of them is shown to be faulty in some way, or we see the downside of them. Um, yes, we see the downside of the prison, the mind prison. You're not supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to dream in there, um, but people are dreaming in there. Um, you know, the, these sensors are, are, yes, they're designed to advertise to you, but this is also like a huge plot point where now people have to remove their eyes to evade them. Um, you know, you're just seeing the flip side of every one of these. And that's such a, that's such a Philip K. Dick uh, choice um, to, to, to not only invent all of these amazing things that were hugely influential for like the rest of science fiction cinema of the, of the 21st century and, and just our daily lives. Like 
this movie was like a, I don't know if you guys have maybe read about this, but there was this, when they were developing this movie, they uh, Spielberg kind of got together all these big minds in science and physics and, and engineering and, and, and just kind of had this, this summit of people who were just throwing out ideas of what things were going to be like over the next 20 years. And he took all those ideas before any of them were in real like development and he put them all into this movie. And then what happens over the next 20 years, we see half of this stuff kind of come true, um, which is really messed up and uh, also kind of amazing. Um, Well, the one thing like we had the Xbox connect where you move your hand and you, you, you know, that's how you select things. You just go like that. And that's from like directly from this movie. Absolutely. And you know, what's amazing about that is we've seen, you know, Tony Stark moving things and, and minority report is smart enough to know that you're going to need a glove uh, to properly register this stuff. And whenever you see this stuff in, in uh, you know, these, these holographic screens, you never see anybody wearing a glove. And Minority Report is the only one where somebody's got a glove. And that's the, like, that's the most realistic version of that because it's not going to register your hands probably as well. Um, so, I mean, they've really thought this stuff out, which yeah, I appreciate. I, I was impressed by how much I thought, it, yeah, the future really made sense. The only thing that I thought was a little bit wrong was like, I don't know that malls are going to be the hub of, human activity in 20 years maybe they'll come back but i don't think malls are going to be big um but otherwise they also didn't have like handheld devices i thought that like oh that's a bit of a miss where like everybody's got a device now you know yeah they didn't really address phones at all did they no they just seem to have like earpieces all the time i don't know like everybody had earpieces that they used that's true and they got it was in the car because isn't it like uh, Max von Sydow in the conclusion? They bring him like she the, hands it to him, the, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead yeah. of the tray with the phone, it's just here's a little earpiece. Put it in. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was it was very very impressive. Um, I also want to comment. One of my crazy notes is how much of the side characters I'd forgotten about in love. Yeah. Um, the three is so Gideon, the guy that is like the warden, I guess, of the people in the mind prison. Um, I had to write the actor's name now, the, Tim Blake oh, Nelson. Br- oh, Brother Rothal guy. Yes, yeah, the guy from Tim, Brother Rothal. Tim Blake Nelson, yeah. Yeah, he actually stole a scene from Cruz, I thought. I thought he was far more captivating in that sequence where yeah. he was almost doing like this 1930s thing almost. I couldn't put my finger on. You're not was... authorized. Yeah, well, that's great. <laughs> that was really uh, that was really on point. Um, Buster yeah, Scruggs, talking... too, wasn't he in Buster Scruggs? He's, he's yeah. in all a bunch of Cohen stuff. You can get your eyes swapped, uh, any junkie on the street or whatever he says. I mean, the whole exchange is great. And he's yeah. got this weird cadence I really love. And there's tons of religious themes going on in this movie as well. I mean, they call it the temple. That guy's name is Gideon. Very, very biblical term. Um, the guy who does the eye replacements, I loved him. He was very, very entertaining. Just a classic Spielberg Another Cohen guy from Fargo, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. He, he's oh. a Spielberg alum, Peter Stormare. He was in uh, he was in uh, the Lost World, Jurassic Park, which is a not a very good movie, but he uh, yeah he's eaten the one eaten by the little compies. That's if you right. Remember that scene? Oh, yeah. Probably since the late nineties. That um, was actually a scene I, I didn't care for that the eye replacement scene. I, I was really? like, uh, I don't know if we need all this. Where he's like grabbing the spoiled milk and the oh, sandwich. Well, that, that part was a bit excessive. There's a time where Spielberg's just having fun with stuff. Like it was the eyeball just, dropping when he tried yeah, to get yeah, back roll, in. Yeah, roll down the ramp. Yeah, I don't, and the I only don't thing, know if I need I, that. Again, this is a, I'm picking a net here. This didn't really hamper. Why did they not shut off John Anderton's access? I feel like sure. they would lock him out. I'm trying to think if like I was essentially fired if I'd still, my key card would still work. I was like, okay, that, that well, was no, like a Well, no, it seemed thing. like he found a, a back way in because he also, he had to jump over the door. 
So I don't he know still if... needed his eye to get in. He has to use the eye. The eyes roll down. Oh, that's he's true. Getting the yeah. eyes yeah, out, true. And it's yeah. this bizarre comedic sequence all of a sudden where he's got the <laughs> fake face and he has to run all yeah. the way down because he drops the eye. It was it was very bizarre because I'm not used to Tom Cruise doing a lot of physical comedy. So I, I, like, I totally forgot about that sequence. That, that, that's really beside the point. But I love the Peter Stormare sequence, how gross it was and put him on the drugs. His introduction is with the snot coming out. He talks about how many antibiotics he's going to put him on. Um, and it wasn't tense this time, but I remember the first time I watched it thinking he's going to just, he's just going to blind to Tom Cruise. He's not going to help him because Tom Cruise had arrested him, you know, back yeah. in Baltimore. Um, I, I will say the most disgusting thing in that scene, uh, besides the moldy sandwich and green milk, which literally makes me gag every time I see it. It's like, I just, I, I don't gag much from movies, but I, that makes me gag. It, uh, the most disgusting part is the nurse who's on the toilet, doesn't wash her hands, and then oh, comes yeah. out to perform Ooh. surgery. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, the whole yeah, whole sequence is very, very gross. But the other one I like is, is Rufus, the tech guy, who's oh, yeah. trying to, like, I want to kill my boss. He's like, got any pictures I can work with? And then John Andrew shows up. He's like, get out of here. People are ruining this stuff for everybody else. <laughs> um, just a wonderful, like, tech skis bag, you know, archetype. Just, I mean, those guys were all super entertaining in the scenes they were in. I mean, it was one scene each, basically, but it's like, oh man, some some really great classic Spielberg side characters. And yeah, they all have like Solomon's the guy that does the eye swap. Rufus is that guy, Gideon. We've got a lot of biblical stuff going on too. I'm not gonna also, write an essay on it, but uh, you maybe you have. But there, there's like clearly deep if you want to take determinism and God and all that stuff. That's there if you want to pick at it. Uh, yeah, I don't pick at the religious stuff, but um, okay. uh, I have picked at the free will and determinism uh, stuff. I will also add to your list of supporting characters, Lois Smith, who's uh, Iris Hinneman, who is so alive in her scenes. You know, she's, she's I think, you know, in her 70s at that point, but her delivery of the dialogue, um, you know, when Anderton goes to see her and she's... The mother you know, of pre-crime, that's right. Do I have that? Okay. Right, right. So um, Lo Smith is such a you know just lively actress anyway, and um, I don't know maybe you guys have seen like Marjorie Prime or you know she's been around for. for was she in Twister? Decade. Was she the mom in Twister when they <laughs> got her was, house? Yeah. Is that her? I think okay. she was. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, her delivery of of that dialogue, I, you know, I I highly recommend you just go back and watch that scene because she's so. Uh, it's like she's just stringing sentences together in such a way that. Um, just puts her above everyone else, I guess. Uh, I don't know what it is about her delivery, but it's just so lively. And, and she's like one of the most interesting characters, I think. Um, Cause she knows that there's problems. She knows that the system is corrupt and she's just isolated herself away behind her, you know, wall of plants and, you know, poisonous plants and vines and whatnot. Um, and, you know, she's just content being that way, uh, which I think is so fascinating. For that character. I wanted to, so you mentioned Spielberg. I wanted to jump back and talk about him a little bit more because there's there's two sequences in the movie. The one where he he's jumping from car to car, trying to just trying to escape after he leaves pre-crime, and then the scene in the like auto factory uh, sure. where the, you know he's, he's running away from them and he's climbing on the things that like those types of action sequences just don't, I, I just don't see those anymore where they feel real. Like he really feels like he's running away. I know most of it's green screen. There isn't the stuff there, but it doesn't feel the way like Marvel movies feel now where it, you just kind of shut your brain off. Cause there's no suspense to it. 
but it must just be because Spielberg's so good at doing those sequences that it just it's so entertaining like I, I really wanted to watch what happens and and you know what how does he get out of this and what's the next right. step that you just don't see anymore I mean that's a whole that's a whole like 20 minute sequence where where he's in his magnetic car and they take control of his magnetic car and from that point until the point that he uh, is is basically has a car built around him from one car to the other as it's like a 20 minute sequence and it's completely just breathless and you know he goes from he goes from the magnetic car to um going into the subway and trying to evade eye scanners to this alleyway fight sequence where you know he's being attacked with guys with six sticks which is a very cool idea yeah but completely and stuff yeah and jetpacks yeah and again you know he introduces spielberg introduces jetpacks and then tells you everything that can go wrong with them which is very cool um and then they go into this car factory, uh, which is a, just an amazing sequence in itself. They've got these weird, you know, guns that are, you know, rotating or whatever. It's like, you know, again, they don't need to explain any of this. It's just all unfolding super fast. And um, it's even kind of like cor- corny at times. Like Colin Farrell does this move where he punches his fist. Yep. And, oh, yeah. Um, it's yeah. such like an old school, like villain move. Um, I mean, he's not even really a villain at that point, but um uh, yeah even with the, where he falls in and they're doing yoga and there's the like sight gag like right like no nobody's putting that in movies anymore and it's kind of dumb but it's also kind of charming in a way and you're like oh okay and yeah. you just move along for the next scene and you're just in in it you know like like it's like raiders of the lost ark like h- half of that movie is these chases or sequences like that but again it's just you never see that anymore and yeah it's so entertaining well raiders is almost all practical effects it's super exciting um I guess in my minor report is I thought the jetpack sequences looked kind of awkward to me. Having not seen it for 15 years, it was a little cumbersome. And I was like, it just, just seemed kind of more goofy than tense sure. from my vantage point. Again, this is this is a very minor nitpick. I'm not everything else left to that was good. I I, I like just the, the silly, I'm gonna get ready, brass knuckles, we're gonna fight. This is a boxing match. I'm Although, if we're nitpicking. I don't think Tom Cruise has any idea how to fight. Like that's my that was my takeaway from that scene. Is like this guy is not good at fighting. He just looks so awkward. And I guess neither is Colin Farrell. I don't know. It was like the wimpiest fight I've ever seen. But that's my own nitpick. But I mean, yes, it looks surprisingly good for a movie that's 20 years old at this point. Um, I was worried. I told Eric this last week. I was just worried that some of the CGI would not hold up, and it really did. It looks better than a lot of other CGI from that era. I mean, I always compare it to the Star Wars prequels and those are more and more difficult to rewatch each time I see them. They look more and more unreal um, and goofy. Um, and this was, no, it looked really, really good. I, I think I part of that has to do with, with like what Janusz Kaminski was doing with overexposing um, the film stock and then by doing bleach bypassing, which is like this process where you, you just don't bleach it and therefore there's silver uh, on the film stock still. And so everything kind of shimmers. And so any kind of like digital effect is going to be sort of rendered almost flat, like with the rest of what you're seeing. Okay. And so you, you just convincingly buy whatever you're seeing, no matter how, you know, maybe cartoony it, it might look by 2000 standard CGI, which I think, you know, I think this movie holds up better than movies that are coming out today personally. Yeah. hundred um, percent agree. And I mean, the same is true of like AI and, and War of the Worlds that, you know, Spielberg just knows how to do CGI. But um, 
I mean, you know, to that point, then th- this this effect of, of of bleach bypassing and and having kind of the silver uh, on the on the film stock is also giving it this like futuristic look. You know, it's looking like a you know, this is supposed to be a utopia where there's no crime, and you know, of course, every utopia is somebody else's dystopia, and and so um, you you go into this world thinking it's this shimmering, amazing utopia, and then slowly, you know, they chip away at that, and I, I just love that, you know, anytime form follows function, I that just that's my thing, you know, I really get that, and uh, if it all just kind of aligns, and this movie does that beautifully, I think it does. I mean, it's it, it is you can use the word self-contained earlier i mean it really is it's those it's the classic script writing while also being entertaining and keep it moving and does it because another movie could get super bogged down in the ideas and come to a screeching halt um others could just be like completely yada yada the ideas and like i don't i don't i've just got to get the minimum out so that we can just start having action sequences right. this does find that balance it is a it is a blockbuster with the brain which has kind of always been a rare thing so it's really refreshing though. Like this is Spielberg was still doing this a lot more often. He's still making movies, but I, I don't know how many, I guess Ready Player One was his last blockbuster quote, unless you count West Side Story. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, West Side Story kind of bombed. I think Red, Ready Player One did okay. I think it made, you know, but, somewhere in the realm of $200 million or something. Yeah. I but guess probably... it's more mean a summer action movie, not necessarily one that did well. Gross oh, wise, sure, sure. just like I'm making a movie and, and Ready Player One. I don't think it's nearly as smart as this one. Um, so it's just, just like, oh man, yeah. Peak Spielberg is a, is a good way to put it. Um, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but I kind of do actually. So I want to talk about the ending a little bit. You've thought about this movie way more than I have. How do you feel about the ending, both thematically and pacing wise? I guess both layers. I want to know uh, your thoughts on that. Are we talking about like the, the the very ending, like the very last scene, or just the the climax where Tom Cruise comes back, he's bald and? Uh, yeah, I don't mean the epilogue. Yeah, I mean where he confronts Max von Sydow at the uh, event, and then they yeah, have yeah. a final confrontation, and then you know I, we do spoilers on this. So I mean, Max von Sydow shoots himself ultimately, faced sure. with an impossible choice, he kills himself. Um, that that part. The epilogue yeah. is more like that's classic Spielberg. You just want to leave us feeling good and happy and whatever you know uh well let's come back to that epilogue and whether we now we feel that that makes us happy um i I don't know that it does i know a lot of people have that opinion about this movie but i i tend to disagree with that uh i do do not feel happy about uh the end i i don't either sorry i just want to say like that's i think that's what spielberg was trying to do like i want to try to leave the audience on a good vibe it's it's saccharine and i but anyway let's max one seat killing himself (laughs) sorry uh i i have no problem with it i think i think this i think you could you could take this scene apart and say that it's very like like all of this stuff has to happen and this is following um you know screenwriter 101 uh template uh i think that's true of a lot of things that are happening in this movie uh you've got a you know a cop with a who's divorced and he's got a dead kid and and uh you're kind of dealing with all these cliches throughout the entire entire movie um in fact, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Time Cop with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay, so, I mean, this is a movie where there's a cop who's, I think, has a dead wife and a dead son, maybe, in Time Cop, and he's dealing with time crimes. It's kind of the same thing. Um, and yet, that movie is not very good, and this one is because, you know, the writers and the and the d- director have, have taken all those tropes and just made it, you know, the best possible version of them. So, 
I guess this is a long way winded way of, of defending the ending in that I think it's very well constructed. I think it's placing, you know, this Max von Sydow's getting honored. Uh, you know, there's a voice in his ear. I think all that is kind of, you, you feel tense for him, for Max von Sydow. Uh, you're wondering how far he, how far Tom Cruise is going to go because he did just get out of this horrible prison. Um, Incidentally, the scene leading up to that is super fun, where she, where his wife sets the ex-wife sets the eyeballs on the on the organ, and you know you get that kind of horror moment. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. So I think it plays out fine. I have no issues with it. I I, I suspect you do though. Well, you're right. No, you're right. I mean, that was it was clearly a trap question. You're right. Um, not a trap. I was just curious because I, I, you know, again, I, you're gonna have more insights and thought about this more than I have. I mean, I first time a few days ago um i felt like it was a cop out so the thing that most interests me about the idea is the determinism versus free will and it it you know because it's a humanist movie and we want to feel good about the nature of choice and humans choosing i wanted something a little more ambiguous a little more i don't know stuff that would frustrate general audiences basically stuff that most people don't want um i wanted something more I don't know, nuance, then he just kills himself. I mean, we hear John Anderson say, these are your two choices, and then he takes a third choice. Um, and I wanted more of a confrontation about the ethics that happened. That was what I was looking for. Is I want, I, I got the Tom Cruise, you know, he's frozen in time, right? We get the, he's trying to save people's futures, but he's stuck in the past because he's stuck reliving this moment with the, his dead son and taking whatever that, you know, drug is. Um, I didn't like that Max wants to do it. It felt more like careerist as opposed to, I think this is objectively the right utilitarian thing to do. Like, yeah, I killed a woman, but I needed to do that to save all these other people. I mean, you do the math, trolley problem. One person dead versus hundreds or thousands or whatever the math is on that. And more about that um, was what I was wanting. I wanted more of a sit down instead of a rushed thing through a kitchen. I felt bad for the kitchen workers, by the way. Like these two guys are just screaming as they're trying to like get stuff ready. Like what are these guys yelling about? You don't say his name. What's happening? I don't know. Um, that was more. And then, and then. Cruz is really good in that scene though. Like yeah, it's he not, really, it's not a, it's this not. might be one of Cruz's best performances. He's like really. In the scene oh, he's where, a charisma machine for sure. The, the scene where, where he thinks he caught the guy that killed his son. Like that's some really power. That's really dark stuff too. With the guy with all the little kids that he maybe had killed. But yeah. like Cruz is really good. He really sells that scene. And so does Samantha Morton too. I mean, she's yeah. lo- yep. she's losing her mind over. She's yep. like on her hands and knees on the bed, kind of kind of losing it as as he's punching that guy. But um, yeah, to your point, Ben, I I, I see what you mean. Um, and I think you know, had Philip K. Dick written this story, it would have had a downer ending and probably explored that stuff but i think this gets into maybe one thing that we haven't talked a lot about yet which is the hitchcock element of it so alfred hitchcock was notorious for um building suspense and kind of thrilling you and then as soon as you hit the climax the movie's over um this is this happens in several of his movies you know north by northwest one second they're on you know hanging off of lincoln's nose and the next second you get you get 20 seconds of them in a, in a, in a train car. And then it's over. Um, saboteur ends with a guy falling off the statue of Liberty. And then it it ends, you know, credit roll credits. Um, and this whole movie is, is yes, it's Philip K. Dick, but it's also a, a Hitchcock wrong man thriller. And I think Spielberg is trying to pay 
homage to that uh, throughout in a number of sequences. I mean, we talked about the car sequence. That was a leftover idea from North by Northwest. Um, the, Hitchcock wanted to have Cary Grant walking through a, a Detroit auto factory and having a car built kind of in the foreground oh, as wow. they're walking okay. in the background. Um, and so they took that idea and they're like, okay, this is a good idea. Let's have them just get into a car factory and have the car built around them. So they kind of took that idea and built upon it. Um, so they're taking all these very Hitchcockian ideas and, and implementing them, uh, you know, with, with Philip K Philip K Dick. And so I think, it sounds like I'm making excuses and maybe I am, but, uh, or making excuses for the ending, but, uh, I, I think, I think they're, you know, yeah, they're rushing through the ending because at that point it's all falling action. Um, Tom Cruise is, has been caught. He's been released. We know who the killer is. Let's get him, let's get it resolved and, and get, get people home. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, I think that, I think that's okay. <laughs> I don't well, think that's the kind of any... movie Spielberg would make. I mean, that he made the movie, not me. That's, that's fair. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I just, those ideas were what really weighed on me a lot more, even then. You want like ago. 20 more minutes of them talking about pre-crime. And Not 20, about 10. And... Give me okay. 10. Give, give me five to 10 minutes. Of a yeah, really they... intense sense sequence. They're both pointing guns at each other. Just Tom Cruise can point the gun. I mean, that, that, that's what I would like. And then we don't know exactly how it was all. We don't know how we feel about determinism versus free will. But instead, we go for the kind of back to the future way of choice working, which you're kind of just deciding in the moment. And we don't know ahead of so time. You right? want him to have gotten away with it then? Like, and and have it end that way? Or you, you just didn't like how quickly it ended, I guess. I'm... I, well, the, there's the pacing of it. It is really fast. Just feel like, boom, we, gotta, we just got to get this done now. We've got, there's these loose ends that we have to resolve. We kind of were ominous, and uh-oh, is Tom Cruise going to be stuck in hell forever, purgatory, if you want to view it as purgatory? No, he's coming back, um, and he's going to make it all right. Um, and the system's coming down. I want it ambiguous. I, I don't, I mean, there's an interesting choice to be made about, hey, this does genuinely save lives. That's why the idea is interesting. If it didn't work, then we wouldn't have a movie. At what point does this person who's already dead what does exposing this guy's crime do? It's going to cause more people to die. That's just objectively what's going to happen. Um, so, the ethics of that is interesting to me, the back and forth. And I'm not saying how to resolve it. Um, you know, so I think you're, um, you're, you're maybe ignoring the, the essential, you know, MacGuffin of this movie to use another Hitchcock term, uh, which is the minority report, which is the whole point is that yes, there's free will in my t- determinism. And those are two polar opposites uh you know philosophically i guess and then there's you know just the potential for something else and we're seeing the potential for something else happen which means that there's no such thing as free will there's no such thing as determinism and there's you know it's all just chaos which is what i think this movie is saying um there yeah there's a potential path that you could lead down and maybe most people lead that path but then maybe you don't lead down that path and who knows yeah ultimately they did lock up a lot of innocent people right that's the idea and they kept an eye on those people, whatever. Okay, fine. But, uh, you know, they're saying that a lot of people could commit these crimes. A lot of people might not commit these crimes. And, uh, you know, for the people who were going to commit them, great. But a lot of people had minority reports. And um, we don't know what people are going to do because people have a choice and we're seeing potential futures. Uh, and I think that's kind of, you know, to, to get into what we were saying before about the about the epilogue is that, yeah, we're ending with no certainty of what 
what the universe is like. We don't know if free will is the right answer. We don't know if determinism is the right answer. He's leaving us in chaos, and and we don't know what to think. And great, the precogs got away, and they're going to be books in that cottage for the rest of their life until they get old and die. Sure. And the rest of the world's going to go back to a horribly violent place with no, uh, you know, no uh, official certainty about the way things are, and you know, people are going to get go back to getting murdered and the life returns to normal. That's not, to me, that's not a happy ending. That's a depressing ending. <laughs> well, right. I mean, that, that's an interesting way of looking at it. It is kind of depressing. Um, Cause maybe my, one of the idea explored more because and even the concept of a minority report is, I, mean, I guess it's the whole point of the movie, but it's more interesting if the determinism is true in the context that these people didn't have a choice um, and they were going to, and, by getting rid of this program, we are, I mean, we just, anyway, I don't know. I guess I also can't escape that I think there's a middle ground where you can arrest people, not put them in the mind prison and put them for arrested murder or a, goodness, attempted murder. Um, yeah, you know, or flag the them. Right. Flight. Yeah. Or just yeah, keep an eye on them like they said they did at the end. And I just kind of think, look, I, <laughs> there's something here and I'd like to at least the ethics explore a little bit because whether we care about determinism or free will, this is clearly driving the murder rate down to nothing and that's also yeah but the, the people the people that are responsible for giving that information were kept like lab slaves i mean like those they, precogs yeah, were that's you part of the ethics i want to you cannot keep somebody like that that's the inhumane and you know so, that, that would have to be shut down maybe one way to kind of explain this is as at least the choice on the writer's part or, or Spielberg's part is not only in terms of like, just let's pay homage to Hitchcock by wrapping it up quickly, but there's also kind of an extra textual element where the year before um, AI came out and, you know, you mentioned before about Steve Spielberg wanting to wrap things up quickly. I don't think that's always true because if you've seen AI, he's got this 20 minute ending where he really just draws things out and really explores things. Oh, yeah. AI he, is kind of an exception. I, I mean, I love AI, by the way, but yes, I don't think most movies are like AI. If, right. I don't, like most people wouldn't see AI and like it as they would like most of his other movies. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Apologies. No, it's fine. Um, and I think he got a lot of negative feedback on that from a lot of people. I think people thought it should have ended, you know, at a certain point and not leaped, you know, a thousand years in the future however I long that. it was uh so do i yeah i, I absolutely it, it everything about it works for me i love that movie but um you know he got negative feedback and and maybe you know i don't know oh, if it's true but maybe that's a let's avoid that and of avoid sure. digging into that and and give a nice efficient thriller that's not meandering in the way that ai does um and give audiences a you know who better to go to than the master of suspense and, and blend that with sci-fi and give audiences what they want. Um, and this is very much a me problem. This isn't, I mean, this isn't really a serious problem with the movie. Um, it's just more of, I, I, I'm a weirdo that wants those ideas left ambiguous or explored more thoroughly. Cause that was the biggest hook for me is like, okay, I love this. The guy thinks the system's perfect. Well, now this, the system is bearing down on him. Does he still think it's perfect? Well, now he has a moral conundrum because what he should do is just say, yep, I'm going to kill that guy. Uh, you better arrest me. But he clearly wants it. It comes to bear on him. He's like, oh, no, no, this is this is nonsense. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, um, and it's super interesting that we get down to the second. I mean, it just made me and I kept thinking of Back to the Future, like George McFly, because one of the things that interests me in Back to the Future, right? He punches Biff. That's the first big moment where George McFly makes a choice, punches Biff. And it looks like the picture's OK. But then there's another moment a little bit later, right, when he's at the dance. 
and he's dancing with Caroline Ray, and then some dweeb pushes him out, and the picture starts to go away, and he's still got to decide. Like, it's this down-to-the-microsecond thing is what choice is viewed in Back to the Future, and I kept thinking of that with Minority Report, which is, I think, a more gratifying way from a human experience standpoint, even if it means more chaos, then we're set to live our lives a certain way and we don't actually have free will. Sorry, bro. Um, but anyway, sorry, that, that's very much a me thing, but it was interesting. I just wanted to get your thoughts. So, um, Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that movie looks like. And I think it, while I like all of the ideas that you're laying out, it's like, I don't, I don't know that that would fit in this movie. I think this is, it wouldn't, you're right. Um, it would slow, you know, it would slow things down and it would be so now suddenly, you know, we've been on a chase for two hours and now the last 20, you know, I guess it would add on 15 minutes. So the right, last right. half hour is, right. uh, is this conversation, this philosophical conversation that, um, yeah, it would lose all of its momentum, I think. And I, no, I, think, you're right. I think this is a chase movie, first and foremost. I mean, the, I think the tagline at the time was everybody runs. And but does so everybody the, run? That's he, something we didn't know that. He, he says it like runs. four times in the movie. I'm like, wait, yeah. we, we saw one guy get arrested and he didn't run at all. He didn't have a chance to run. <laughs> Tom Cruise runs. I mean, inevitably, right? Right, he does. He's no, always he runs a lot. Run. And yeah. she says to run. I mean, Agatha says to run. Um, and I love the mall sequence, by the way. Man, I, I said I don't think American life's going the way of the mall in two decades. But I love where she's like, stand here, grab the umbrella. I mean, that's just super fun um, stuff. Another Hitchcock uh, reference there too. That's a uh, from Foreign Correspondent. There's a famous sequence where a assassin disappears into a into some umbrellas uh, during a rainstorm. Um, so that's okay. kind of a n- nice little fun nod there too. But yeah, she even screams "run" as he's about to get arrested. Like it's a little too late, Agatha. He's, they're already here. I don't know where he's going to run. He's been yeah. surrounded. Where were you five up. minutes ago? Right, like you, you <laughs> wanted to take the time to tell him how his son would have lived. And I got to say, also as a, a parent, the scene at the pool is more horrifying than it ever was. Mm, yeah. um, I mean, it happened. It was a plot point, and when I was in high school, and I said now like. The idea of like, oh, I'm just holding my breath underwater for 30 seconds and my kid can disappear. That's terrifying. Where um, like where did his kid go though? That that was always confusing to me. It's just like disappeared. Yeah. They never really go back to that at all. Like, did he did he investigate it? We don't even know if his kid was killed. Like Yeah, just completely disappeared, and that's yeah. what's that's what's so haunting. I think it would probably be I don't you know, I'm I don't have kids, but I would imagine it would be easier somewhat easier to process if the kid was just murdered um because not knowing has got to just eat away at him and you know then obviously he's it ruined his marriage and now he's a drug addict um i wondered why they didn't have because i thought there would be some symmetry with the murder because like that's why he wants to stop murders i guess you know that's why he's so motivated because his kid was murdered but you don't really know if his child was actually murdered yeah no that's true um, yeah, I've wondered about that too. Um, well, you know, why, why I think he's just so passionate to prevent things, bad things from happening because something so terrible yeah, is happening. Yeah. Other people from the trauma right. that he experienced. Right. He just wants to reduce trauma. I, yeah. I had a question. So, you know, watching this movie, the really like the first 10 minutes, the first thing I thought of is like, would this movie be a big deal now? Would it be a big hit? Because it made, made over $100 million when it came out. But, like, this to me seems like, aside from the Spielberg and Cruise aspect, seems to be something that would, like, go straight to video now or, like, just right on HBO Max. Like, it's just, like, an original sci-fi movie is like, wow, they used to make those kind of things. They used to be big deals. And and uh, I just, it doesn't really happen much anymore. 
yeah, I mean, star power. I mean, Tom Cruise is maybe one of the last big names that can command box office these days. But, but you know, back then, Tom Cruise was a marquee name. I mean, he still is. But um, this was like uh, the aligning of stars, I remember, back then. It was like the the biggest director ever and the biggest star ever are now going to be in the sci-fi movie. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was an expensive movie and it didn't make a ton over its budget. Like it's because it's not a well-known IP and it's a very kind of, uh, um, I don't know, you know, sophisticated sci-fi movie. That's, that's entertaining once you're sitting down, but I think it was a hard sell and it was kind of like word of mouth had to spread. Um, and it had a long, you know, it had a long tail to it a lot. It was in theaters for a while before it, it, it reached whatever it made. Yeah, I thought of like Blade Runner 2049, which I absolutely love that movie. But that wasn't, I mean, that hardly made any money. It didn't even make a blip really in terms of box office. And that was sort of playing on an original IP. I know, you know, it was an older thing. But like, that's what made me think. It's like, man, I miss miss those kind of movies. I just kind of long for them. Yeah, I don't think this would be made today. Probably not. Don't people make, I mean, so you've got your boy Christopher Nolan, Eric, who kind of does the smart blockbuster thing. Um, that are fun to watch and full of ideas. Also, because I think maybe he goes a little idea heavy. Um, yeah, Tom Cruise had the what live die repeat or whatever. I'm just trying to think of Edge of Darkness. Yeah, amazing movie. I like that movie a lot. Yeah, it's not it's as great. smart as this one, but it's super entertaining. It's just super fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there aren't many many left. Chris Pratt has tried and failed. I didn't see Passengers, and I'm probably never going to. Um, I don't have a band. Well, there was that Hugh Jackman movie where they went in other people's minds or something like that. I yeah, that's it. it. But it's, yeah. yeah, they're a dying breed. We, we get the big blockbusters of the teeny tiny movies. We seem to get one extreme or the other these days. We don't get the, the middle weight movies. I mean, you know, I, I take it back. This movie wouldn't get made today. It would, it would just, it would just bomb. I think. Yeah. Um, I think it would go the, the avenue of reminiscence that Hugh Jackman movie you mentioned, That's which is a terrible movie, by the way, and nobody should, one of the worst movies of last year. It was so bad. Um, but uh, high concept, you know, original, you know, nobody knows minority report, the short story, or nobody really cares about That's not a thing right. that, you know, my mom knows. I think that that's like the ultimate it's test. It's a very small, hardcore, like sci-fi nerds that know it. And that's it. Right. right. Um, I mean, even Ready Player One, I think was, you know, that was a bestseller. And a lot of people knew that just because they were into video games or 80s pop culture or whatever. Right. And um, so, yeah, I think this would be a real hard sell today. And it would it would probably take, you know, I think Cruz was, was maybe an executive producer or producer on this. And I think he would be able to muster you know christopher mcquarrie or whatever to, to to make something like this today but it, it i don't think it would be as as big as it was then maybe that's like mission impossible 22 is like some weird sci-fi movie you know maybe that yeah. would work yeah those are a little sci-fi the technology feels a little like all right we're just kind of having a little fun with made-up gadgets that seem implausible but whatever let's roll with it yeah absolutely well all right are we, are we reaching the point here where we want to give our letterbox reviews here yeah, unless Brian, uh, unless there's something else you wanted to, yeah, to Brian, add. You, I mean, you you know this movie better than either of us. Uh, you know, we've kind of hinted around this, um, or maybe not really hinted around it, but just one last thing that I wanted to mention was, you know, you mentioned um, Samantha Morton yelling, uh, "Run!" And I just wanted to talk about sound a little in this movie. I think this is one of the most interesting sonic experiences um, in in my movie going, you know, history. Uh, when she yells, "Run!" 
there's just there's something beneath that i don't know what it is but it just it just reverberates and i think that's true of of the jets kind of that they have like these hover hover machines like whatever that sound is it's just so reverberating and and really like you believe that that thing it's not like some other sound that you've heard in a million other sci-fi movies like those are original haunting sounds um and then we haven't mentioned John Williams' score at all, which I think is like one of his most nimble and just like thrilling scores. I didn't even think about it being John Williams. I didn't pay any attention. Well, to that. the other thing to your point with the sound, those spin wow. guns, the, the the sound that they made when they shot to was such a unique sound and the, yeah. the bass so of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The sound that resonated most with me, it was just the, the pitter-patter of the spider legs. That, that was the sound the most, which is the way they clattered on the ground. I don't know why that just felt very real yeah. and visceral. Um, I would I would highly recommend you just watch that scene again and listen to the score. Um, okay. There's just like a like a string component there that is so that Williams is doing. It's such a I don't know. It's such an intense like thrilling music uh, throughout that uh, I, I just I love the score so much. Okay, yeah, I, I honestly. So you, you got the greatest composer. You got maybe the greatest director. You got the greatest star. Uh, one of the greatest screenwriters. You got a lot of great components. And some here. fantastic role players. I mean, I do. I do love. There were so many side characters. Yeah, they, absolutely. Uh, that actually t- triggered a, the the other scene. And I, we didn't really talk about Colin Farrell much because, I mean, he, I think he's amazing in this movie. I actually think he kind of steals the movie. But the yeah, scene, yeah. the scene where they're in the elevator right after he's confronting Cruz about yes. the thing, and he, and yes. you know, he's, he's he's dressing him down, and he's like, "You're not going to do anything, otherwise we'd hear the the kill alarm." And then it goes off, and he's just like, "Oh shit! Like, oh. am I yeah. going to die?" Like that change really in his great. face yeah. is so perfect. Like it's just such a, it gives me goosebumps actually just watching it because yeah. it's, yeah, it's it's, it's, very, it's perfect. Yeah, it is very good. I, I, why does he go to Max von Sydow? To tell the plot, uh, that was one thing. I was like, "Why, why are you going to that guy? Aren't you a federal agent? If you think there's corrup- corruption inside the department, why are you telling that guy?" He's so he, trusted. You know, he's the he's the old. If there if there's a if there's a human component that's that's wrong, it's not going to be him. He's the old. You know, he's he's the old trusted. <laughs> guy yeah. who started this whole thing yeah i guess i i, I thought, thought colin farrell's character was smarter than that but maybe not maybe he's got a blind spot for maybe he reminded him of his dad or something i don't know but so I, I, like, I remember what i had never seen colin farrell in anything before this movie this and very I, early I remember, like, who is this guy and he's just in there stealing scenes from Cruz. and there's a bunch of stuff where he's like taking Cruz's job and i wondered like are they are they trying to say he's taking Cruz like out as an actor sure. like he's replacing tom Cruise, which didn't happen it didn't really work for colin farrell but i i just remember being blown away by him in this movie like who is this guy running around here just stealing scenes yeah yeah uh i think he was in like tiger i don't know if you guys ever saw Tigerland. No, uh, this joel schumacher no. war movie that was like his breakout movie very oh, wow. good movie um, really yeah okay i'd highly recommend it um a rare, very good Joel Schumacher. Yeah, it's like it's a rare, good yeah. Joel Schumacher. Don't necessarily those those aren't in the same sentence often. Okay. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, he's no, he's very good in this, and uh, I I wish he would have you know not wasted five years on stuff like Phone Booth and Daredevil and and done more smaller roles to kind of cut his teeth on stuff like this. Oh yeah, Daredevil. Daredevil. Another one I've not thought of in a long time. Yeah. Is, does he have the thing in his this the bullseye? Yes, the bullseye scar. It's not even a tattoo; it's a scar. Yeah, that's really yeah, stupid. Oh, it's yeah. really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I haven't thought about that movie a long time either. So. I was really into that movie in high school. I did get over it, but I yeah. didn't think it was really Brian, next time you show up on the pod, we're doing Daredevil. No, I'm just All right, kidding. sounds we're, good. We're not doing that. Wait. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put you through that. Um, all right, well, should we shift over and give our letterbox ratings? Everybody good with that? Yeah. Brian, as the guest, would you like to jump jump in and give your rating? Sure, yeah, for me, I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's a five out of five. Quick and easy, okay. Um, slightly less love for me, but only slight. I would say four and a half, and I I guess my, my only serious criticism flaws, I really did think – Max Lucido was kind of wasted in the role. I think almost any crusty old guy could have done the performance. There wasn't as much going on there as I wanted. I wanted more about his motivations. He's kind of ominous in a few scenes. We kind of understand his motivations a little bit later. He looked, seemed too careerist, which is maybe, and that's just a me problem, but I wanted more. I wanted more of a juicier because he's the real villain. He's the uber villain, the one that gets revealed at the end. And it's not quite... Not quite what I wanted, and I, I love Max Vincito. But that, I mean, otherwise, and you know, I said I have my qualms at the ending, but otherwise, I was super entertained. It was when I started, and I was, you know, I don't want to pause. I'm just like, I, I'm hooked. I'm in the movie, just want to escape and be locked in um, the whole time. Anyway, it's a smart blockbuster. These don't happen often. They probably never happened that often, and they happen even less often now. So it's, it's excellent. Anyway, that's me. I was going to be at four stars, but Brian, you have convinced me to bump it up. To, oh, to four, four and a half the the couple scenes i actually didn't didn't really care for the scene with the the woman in the garden i thought that was like it was just a little too weird for this movie you know i know I we're diving into plants. some weird stuff but it was just like yeah. now there's yeah. these giant uh, deadly plants i don't know and they nuzzle her at one point like yeah. weirdly, like she's getting kisses from the plants yeah it's very goofy. I, I would have rather them not, you know, that she's like the mother of the precogs, because then I had more questions where it's like they've been doing this for they had thousands of cases, right? Like how long were these precogs doing where there's like a precog before them? Were these the only precogs that had ever existed? They're the only precogs. They tried to do a bunch of genetic experiments. Most of the kids died. These are the only ones that had any okay. ability. Whatsoever. It just it made me like ask a lot of questions. And then I, you know, mentioned the eye surgery scene. I, I didn't care for that as well. But uh, oh, wow. all the things that like the other thing we didn't talk about, like we sort of did this, the special effects, but like Tom Cruise's apartment, I thought was super cool where the, the car kind of docked on the window and he climbed yeah. in. I didn't remember that from seeing it before. It's like, Oh, that's such a cool effect that they just throw in there. It's, they don't explain it. It's just, that's how he gets into his apartment. But yeah, it's also a wall. They can park outside your window at an upper level apartment. Yeah. It makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's also very, like a very practical, um, a, a practical parking spot, I guess, and and you know you can build skyscrapers as as tall as you want then, and not have to waste anybody's time because your car's right there. It's one of those things that you know I feel like came out of this like summit with engineers. Like, wouldn't it be cool if your car, you know, just docked and everything was you know all all magnetic roads anyway, so you could just have your car right next to your building, you know? Self-driving vehicles too. That's oh yeah, all, that's a, that, no, that was that. Yeah. We're headed there for sure. Yeah, so it, I really loved a lot of it. There's just a couple little things that just didn't make me want to give it a perfect movie. But. So too, yeah. you don't like the squeamish, the squeamish, viscous, like body, and not body, uh, even, just 
I do, but not in like a big big budget sci-fi Tom Cruise Spielberg. I, I love the weird little touches. I you know, was, I did not expect the weird. He's got to chase down an eyeball sequence, and then we're reveling in whatever whoever built that model or whatever. It's just like oozing, and you can just see the the nerve connect. I mean, it was I, I like it was very visceral and and funny and weird. But. Yeah, it's it's kind of like this grotesque balance of of humor and and body body horror. Same with the the shot that he puts under his chin. Like, what a mm-hmm. weird idea! Like, it just make, make, makes your face melt for a couple hours. And like, uh, uh, I mean, that's a generally weird idea. Like, I've never oh, yeah. seen anything like that since. Um, it would be a mask or something like that. And I think that's kind of like a like a play on on Mission Impossible at that point. Maybe I was like, yeah, they didn't want to do a mask because he'd done it in Mission Impossible a couple yeah. of times already. Like, all right, it's an old bet. We got to do something. But like the the facial recognition, that's another like technology that's exploding now. Everywhere you go, there's somebody capturing your image and it's going through some database and tracking it, you know? Yeah. Uh, Okay, should we shift over to the five degrees of field of dreams? So I heard Brian's an expert at this. So connecting Minority Report over to field of dreams. Uh, would you like to go first, or we, we can jump in there? Are you all set? Yeah, I'm all set. I, I thought a two that can be done with with one actor, or I mean, really, there's just like one one connection, which and one is Max von Sydow to Ed Harris in Needful Things, uh, and Ed Harris does the voice in in Field of Dreams, um, and then the other is uh, Tom Cruise and Ed Harris in The Firm. All right, Mr. Ed Harris. Yeah, Mr. Ed Harris. He he was the he was the link. Everybody's been in a movie with Ed Harris. Cool. Ben. And, and yeah, I'll go. We we do ours a kind of weird. You're trying to find the most efficient route possible, which is what my brain would usually do. But we're we do this thing where you have to you have to find basically three movies to sandwich in between. So you start with my narrative report, and I got to get to Field of Dreams. Oh, I um, was I was cutting so many out. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's an it's an opportunity to just throw plugs or just find weird routes. It's actually more difficult because I didn't find that efficient of a route. Um. Ellen Burstyn can get you there in a couple of moves. Um, you can also get to James Earl Jones and Conan the Barbarian, um, but not as efficient as yours. But um, so in this one, I started with Minority Report. I also went back with Max von Sydow because he's, people don't know, but he's a he was an absolute legend of Swedish filmmaking. And he worked with this director, Mark Birdman, a bunch in Sweden in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and I don't know what his first, I guess his first big one maybe was Exorcist. He's the old priest in Exorcist. Um, that would have made it more famous in the U.S. at that point. But um, in the 1976, it's a movie called Voyage of the Damned. All my movies are very heavy, by the way. It's a very <laughs> depressing route. Voyage of the Damned is a star-studded movie. It's got Orson Welles in it. Um, it's based on a true story about a, a bunch of Jewish people during World War II, Holocaust. They're going to get on a boat that's going to take them to Cuba, and they're going to get away from Germany. But it was really a a setup by the Nazis because they wanted to prove that nobody wanted Jewish refugees. So the Nazis let them do it and they, you know, they get rejected in Cuba and nobody wants them. Um, it's, it's a very, very depressing story again, based on uh, what actually happened. Uh, but James Mason's in that movie. Um, James Mason's in another movie called the stars born. The, I think at that point, the second iteration of the stars born, there's been four, I think um, he's the alcoholic who finds a young Judy Garland um who at a jazz club and she's the one who's rising he's falling um and judy garland is another movie judgment at nuremberg 
a um, whole bunch of stars there, uh, Spencer Tracy, but the big one is Burt Lancaster, who is in Field of Dreams. Um, so that's the rad joke again, dealing with Nazis and two of them, and then somebody, you know, killing themselves because they're too much of an alcoholic. Those are, those are my, R- that's my real li- real light stuff you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I'll make I'll make mine quick. I went with Tom Cruise. And he's in a movie called Tropic Thunder. He plays the agent yeah. and does the the Florida song in the end, which is amazing. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Yep. Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s in that. He's playing the guy that looks like the other guy that's playing the other guy. Um, he's in Zodiac, which is an amazing movie. Mark Ruffalo's in Zodiac. And he's in some rom-com. I had never seen this movie. Rumor has it, which oh, yeah. also, also has Kevin Costner in it. And that's how I got to feel dreams. Rumor has it is this, uh, it's like a spiritual sequel to the graduate where, uh, I think it's like Jennifer Aniston's mom and dad were like supposedly the characters from the graduate. Like, like her mom and dad were based on those characters. It's not a good movie. Like Dustin Hoffman's character from the graduate grown up. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but like you know, the gra- the graduate was the fiction, then her parents were the real deal. So anyway, okay, yeah, not a good movie. Oh, that's weird. Uh, okay. So I feel bad that I did a short version. Uh, so I'm gonna do a longer version if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. All right, I'm gonna go the opposite and do very stupid movies, uh, and do Max von Sydow with Sylvester Stallone in Judge Dredd. Sure. Um, which is you know just garbage. I am the law. <laughs> right. Exactly. I am the law. Uh, 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 Sylvester Stallone with uh, Kurt Russell in um, Tango and Cash, uh, which is another just just garbage movie. Uh, it's really really doesn't hold up at all. Uh, that's the whole period of Sylvester Stallone where he wore glasses to look like intelligent. Um, and he did that. I don't know if you've ever seen this video of like Sylvester Stallone with glasses meeting Rocky Balboa in the museum. Have you ever seen this? No. No. You should search for it. It's one of the worst things ever created. It's so super funny. Um, it's Sylvester Stallone ripping on himself. Uh, it's incredible. You, you, you need to look it up. Um, anyway, so uh, Kurt Russell was in 3,000 Miles of Graceland, uh, 3,000 Miles to Graceland with uh, Kevin Costner. Okay. There you go. Did you just do that off? I mean, you, you, you talked to me. Did you just do that off the top of your head? Uh, I was thinking, I felt bad now. Yeah, so I was thinking about it, and that's the first one that came to mind. He, I mean, I, I just want people to know. I mean, this isn't, I mean, the podcast is edited in a general sense. I don't think we're going to edit this out. I mean, literally, he came through with the super efficient route right at the beginning, and then, I don't know, Eric and I talked for, let's call let's generously call it five minutes. And then Brian had his chain ready to go in that amount of time. Well, it's we did less than five minutes. We did uh, one movie. I did the same route. I did the Stallone Tango and Cash to the Graceland. It took me like two hours to, to make that connection. <laughs> I was like, just scan an IMDb and you just did it in seconds. Very impressive. The, me and my wife, like whenever we're in the car, it's we we play this game and it's just a competition between the two of us. So my brain's just wired that way, I guess. Cool. Well, anything else? Uh, we're going to uh, talk about the next movie we're going to do. Ben's going to do a little trivia so that normally we just kind of say what movie we're doing next week. Ben's got some trivia questions, so okay. feel free to participate. I, I, sometimes Ben makes them really hard. I, I don't know what, what the... Well, we have another guest coming yeah. on next week, so they made it 
I think pretty hard. I mean, I, you know, I got one that I think a bonus one if we need help, but I also think Brian, you're more likely to get it than Eric based on <laughs> just our, our so interaction here. Five, um, you got five clues, right? Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start, I'll start. I mean, I usually like to start with the year. So the year is 1985. Obviously you probably can't guess yet. Um, so this is directed by the same person that directed the original Bad News Bears. And I can give you the name of the director. Uh, you know, I don't know. If, you know, do you know already, Brian? I think I do. Yeah. Should I say it? You should. Or, I, you're gonna, you're gonna blow my mind. Yeah. Is yeah. it the golden? Is it the golden child? No, it's not the golden child. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, number. Th- you can have multiple. Is guesses. that the Eddie yeah. Murphy movie? The golden. Yeah. Child? I, I want the knife. I want. I want yeah. the knife. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the Lannisters, I think, is the bad guy. Um, so it co-stars a future Oscar winner, pretty vague. Um. It's number four. Clue number four. I'm just going to keep going. I think that probably help you. Number four is that it's based on the first book in the series. So there's a series of books that's based off of the first one. It, you said 1985? Correct. Is it the never-ending story? Nope. No. I don't know if those are based off of books either. Maybe they are. I think they're just made up. The, the director is Michael Ritchie. Oh my god, I'm so impressed that you knew that. Yo, you're the executive, that's exactly who the director is. Um, and Michael, that, and that's why I thought it was Golden Child, because he directed Golden I think Golden Child. Child's a little bit later. I think Golden Child might be 86, 87, 88. I want to say 87, 88. Um, but it's, it's not this movie. Future Oscar winner. And I'm uh, sorry, what was the fourth clue? Fourth clue is, um, it's, the, it's based on a series, and it's based on the first book in a series. Oh, so there's right. a series of books. The first one, this movie's based on. And to help there, I think other books that sequels to this movie are based on. So I mean, it's it's the first movie of several too. I mean, you can you can extrapolate there. Uh, uh, what's the fifth clue? Okay, <laughs> so the guy that plays Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of of Bel Air, the original, he has a minor role in this movie as a cop. I don't know the actor's name. Yeah, I know who the, I can picture him. Um, you said he plays a cop. Yeah, minor role. I mean, it's not. He's not a major role. He's not like a major role. You, you know, it's just a couple scenes. I'm gonna be embarrassed when you tell me what this is. I can't think of it. You should. Um, these, are, these are hard clues. I, I was gonna be shocked if you got it. I, you said um, you had one that might be a little, a little easier for us to get. Another clue, a little side clue. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I think that's a good way. It stars. Do you want? Do you know who the star of the film is? Yeah. It's Chevy Chase is the star of the film. Oh, Fletch. Yeah. Yeah, I totally right. yeah I yeah okay. There's there's a book a Fletch book it's a novel. Yeah it's a whole series. Oh really? There's a new Fletch movie coming out with Is John Hamm. Okay. Oh he's playing the new Fletch. Okay. Yeah. I think that's you know, a good so, choice. I have never seen Fletch so this will be a first oh, time watch for me. It's funny. Um I even I kind of like the sequel too actually it's it's not as good but it's uh Michael Ritchie is a great like director if you just kind of go through his filmography. Um, he's made some really great movies. Bad News Bears, even. Have you seen Bad News Bears? Oh, I love uh, the original yeah. Bad News Bears. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love Golden mo- Child. Yeah. Yeah. He made this movie called uh, Smile about beauty pageants. That's just like just cutting into like Is it the a, American system. Uh, it's like a satire it, comedy kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, it's like black satire. Sure. Um, or uh, Prime Cut. Have you guys ever seen Prime Cut? Oh. I've never heard of either of these two movies. So, so Pr- Prime Cut is one of the most unflinching, nasty thrillers that you can get. It's 
Gene Hackman is uh, oh, I love uh, a like Gene a, Hackman thriller. A human trafficker, and oh, Lee Marvin works for the mob, and he's okay. um, he's trying to get uh, Sissy Spacek, who's been trafficked, uh, away from him. And okay, everything um, you're saying is definitely making me want to watch this movie. That's it's, oh man, it's got incredible action sequences. It's just it pulls no punches whatsoever. It's I love the movie. It's amazing. You should watch it. Okay, you've you sold me on it. Those are a bunch of. I mean, Eric, do you know who Lee Marvin is by any stretch? Does that name mean anything to you? Uh, I know Tarantino talks about him a lot in his movies. Yeah, I don't think he. he I don't think he made too many movies. Pat, I mean, he, he. I think by the seventies, he was still doing stuff in the seventies and even nineteen in the eighties, but not a lot of stuff that would have would have reached your your stratosphere. See, is he in a bunch of cowboy movies? Uh, he's in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. It's a great yep. movie. Yep. Um, and he's in Dirty Dozen. Um, the big red one is this war movie with uh, Mark Hamill. And the yeah. he's, got white, he's got white hair, right? And he's got white hair. I mean, yeah. eventually, stuff yeah. you'd see him in, he's already kind of Dirty Dozen, he's chiseled. got white hair, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, usually yeah. you see him, he looks old and chiseled and tough. He's one the of the big, old tough guys. The big heat is he's like, a, he in his early career, he played a lot of like nasty criminals and and film noir movies the big heat he's just he throws a pot of coffee in a woman's he's the guy face. that throws coffee oh man i haven't yeah, yeah. yikes wow. yeah it's pretty pretty awful um yeah you wow. should check out lee marvin he's great i mean i've got a list of of movies that i love that i think eric are gonna hate yeah and i might add some that I, if i love that he might like i might add some of these to the i might make eric watch them because eric doesn't tend to go too far back he likes hitchcock um a little further back than that, but for the most part, sure. It's black and white. Eric's not into it. It's all right. I like a good um, noir. I like a good noir. Let's well, do this. We, we'll do a double indemnity sometime. I think you might like that one. I've seen the, that. Okay. Well, then never mind. The Big Heat is like one of the one of the most like it doesn't pull any punches. It it's yeah, it's, uh, it's it's surreal. You're, it's shocking to see a movie that old be that violent. You're like, oh yeah, wow. I didn't yeah. expect this from the '40s movie. So I guess uh, to wrap 50s. up our Lee Marvin appreciation discussion, sure. watch, yeah. watch Big Heat and watch uh, Prime, Primal Prime Cut. Cut. Prime, Prime Cut. Cut. Prime Cut. Like yeah. steak. Okay. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, unless you have anything else you'd like to add about Minority Report, we can we can cut it here. Just want to thank you so much again, Brian, for joining the podcast. Absolutely. Um, it was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, I have nothing to add about Minority Report. I will. Uh, in fact, I like reread my essay in in advance of this, and I like want to go back and write more about it now. So I may may expand my, what I've already written on it now. You're gonna uh, write a treatise on Minority Report. I love it. Right. Yeah. And we'll find that on your website, deepfocusreview.com. Yes, yeah, deepfocusreview.com. Then you know, at Deep Focus Review is my Twitter, and then uh, Patreon slash deep focus review um if you want to join and check that out awesome yeah well thank you so much thanks for joining um next week we are watch and uh yeah take it easy thanks a lot all right thanks guys